Hello once again and welcome back to Four at the Back. We're here with another one of these short sessions where we talk about what's been going on in the Premier League so far this season. And we're here with one of the biggest stories so far. It's just me and Joe here tonight and we are talking about his club and the strange, strange happenings that have been going on at Newcastle United. Now the richest club in the world, owned possibly by the Saudi state. We're not really 100% sure about that. Yeah, Lots to unpack in this one, and we're going to try and do it all in about 20 minutes. So let's crack on. Joe, it was a long run in saga. Mike Ashley finally got his money and got out of the club a little over three weeks or so ago now at the time of recording. What do you what do you make of it all? You know, just I was going to hand it over to you. What do you make of the did it finally coming to an end? I, mean, I think mostly I mean, from my point of view and I think for a lot of fans point of view, we are more happy that Ashley is gone than concerned about what has replaced him. Now, I know there's some, there's, there are plenty of adages and cliches about better the devil you know, and we could be sat here in five years' time going, this was the worst thing that ever happened to Newcastle. But we've just had 14 years of the worst thing that's ever happened to Newcastle. So for now, we're just happy he's gone. Now, the fact that he's been replaced by... Some might say the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. That's not the fans' fault. And, you know, I don't think many Newcastle fans are going to stop supporting the club just because of who owns them. And it has raised a few ethical questions, but the same questions exist in pretty much every sport in the world, to be honest, whether it's boxing or formula one put it this way there isn't a billionaire on the planet without blood on his hands so it it's not really fair to kind of to, to point all those sort of the bad things in the world and park them at the door of newcastle united it's you know there's more to it than that there have been questions asked about the fit and proper persons test those questions have existed probably for 25, 30 years, going all the way back to, you know, the the very founding of the Premier League. We've gone through Peter Ridsdale. We've gone through uh, the Manchester Manchester City owner prior to the... Taksin Shinawat. That's the one. Um, Cardiff City went through it as well. Like, those questions have existed for years. All of a sudden, more people seem to be asking the question because Newcastle United are the richest club in the world. Maybe that's a bit simplistic, but, you know, it's that's not really a concern for the fans and probably not a concern for the club. Maybe it's a concern for the Premier League, but they did everything they could to stop this takeover going through. And the other question to be asked is why it suddenly went through. Now, we may never know the answer to that, but it sounds like Mike Ashley found something that the Premier League didn't want getting out. And that's why Newcastle United are the richest club in the world right now. That's interesting because what I'd heard was the main holdup was the thing about piracy in Saudi Arabia. And once they realised that they weren't going to get their own way without cracking down on that piracy, the minute they ended that kind of standoff, the Premier League basically waved it through. But why did they end the standoff? That's... Because they re- they realised they weren't going to get the club without it, so the, they kind of just 
crack down on the pirate basically because the the rights for all the kind of regional premier league football was held in Qatar, and the premier league are very strict on rights uh where they might not be strict on the murder of journalists but they are strict on (laughs) on who owns the the rights to broadcast the premier league so because the saudis basically ignored that and let a saudi company pirate the rights to certainly the saudi arabian territory and then that's one or two regions outside on the cheap they were basically considered persona non grata with the Premier League. So once that obstacle was removed, then the Premier League were kind of like, well, that's our main concern gone, really. And that does raise it, more questions about the fit and proper person test because of all the issues that most people have with the Saudi royal family. I'm not sure sport piracy was necessarily the biggest one, but there we are. I mean, like I say, it's that... The, the whole sports washing argument you you could apply that equally across all sorts of sports and i don't know why football and particularly newcastle united are, are the what's you know that's where the line should be drawn um particularly when you know you know golf uh, wwe uh, boxing formula one they've all got pretty strong links with um with the saudi arabian state and for some reason, it's not been a problem up until now. So, I, 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 you know, you and I certainly used to follow professional wrestling quite closely. And there was always this, you know, this slightly uneasy relationship that WWE had with Saudi Arabia. But it, it's never stopped them. So I think there's an yeah. element of scale about some of this because I have yeah. seen people boycott the WWE over those Saudi shows. And I have seen criticism of you know joshua for fighting in saudi arabia let's say the thing to remember is that it's always bigger when it's football because mm-hmm. football's such a much bigger sport than certainly than pro wrestling and probably even bigger than the biggest boxing fights at the moment football is kind of global billion dollar business week in week out it's it's a different so i think it, it is just this kind of scale that's kind of involved with it there i think ultimately the deal that's been done and the way that they came to it, it's an extremely complicated, you know, process. That there, there have been lawsuits left, right, and centre. I, th- I think the there were problems. That, there were subsequently that there was a vote about sponsorship and um, allowing teams to sponsor themselves in the Premier League. Yeah. Basically, Newcastle was stopped from from any kind of commercial deals involving their um, involving their owners for six months, I think, in, a, in an attempt to kind of change the rules. Um, and I think only Manchester City voted with Man- with Newcastle. Everyone else voted against them. So I think now, you know, I think every other club is now worried about their interests. You know, it's we'll have to wait and see how much how much of a difference it really makes because ultimately financial fair play is still a thing. Slightly, Newcastle can't just you know offer six billion pounds for Kylian Mbappe or something stupid like that like they still have to operate within some sort of financial framework Um, and the other thing is Newcastle is still not an attractive place to go and play football you know we, we are still trading on a team and a manager and some nights in Europe from 25 years ago no one in the you know no one who is sort of ballon d'or worthy or in that kind of bracket is going to is going to swap paris saint-germain or real madrid or liverpool or any of these sort of elite clubs for newcastle at the moment 
we've got the training facilities of a League Two side. It's that bad. Like it, it, it is well documented how bad it is. Um, Amanda Staveley, who's one of, who's basically the uh, the face of the consortium, um, and is basically the, I suppose the new Mike Ashley, I suppose. Or she commented um, just after the takeover went through of how bad that those facilities are, and that's you know we are not restricted by finance by financial fair play or anything like that in investing in facilities. That's gonna that's a long term thing. That's gonna take a few years to for, to bear fruit. So and then you know on the pitch we are embroiled in you know a very serious mm. relegation battle. It's very like more serious well, than any any battle we've been in before. But that brings me on to the next kind of kind of point because a lot of this stuff that we I spoke is is kind of a question of of degree and a question of the future but this is the is the current moment at the same time as the Ashley era ended about a week 10 days after that the Steve Bruce era ended I know he's not the most popular figure at St James Park who replaces it is kind of going to be a very important kind of thing we know now that it's Eddie Howe he has some experience of keeping struggling sides in the Premier League is this a squad thinking back to his Bournemouth side that he can that he can do that with? Is there much of a ceiling for him beyond that? Uh, oh. how, how glad are you to to see the back of a, of Bruce, knowing that he probably would have kept the side in the division eventually because that was all he really did as a manager? Um, oh. Unpack that thing, kind of you know series of events for us. So I have some. I Bruce is for a man with a thousand games in management. And it seems it's exactly a thousand games in management. There didn't seem to be any kind of right. Like he he'd been in charge of that team for for over two years, and there doesn't seem to be much of an identity. We seem to be getting one towards the end of last season, and then this season with effectively the same squad. We signed Joe Willock um, over the summer. He was really the only major signing we made. We sold a number of, I suppose, fringe players, but. You know, the, the, the squad wasn't bigger than it was, but there didn't seem to be any kind of urgency or, um, what you know, whether the the players had given up, whether Bruce himself had, just didn't feel that th- there was much point in trying to be any more enterprising. But, you know, we are, we're what, 11 games in now. Newcastle still haven't recorded a win, that we are the only team out of the 92 uh, football league and Premier League clubs not to have recorded a win this season. You know, even if there hadn't been a takeover, you would have been shocked to have seen Bruce last through November. Quite honestly, I think you know if it wasn't for the fact the takeover had, had gone through, there would never have been a more toxic atmosphere around around St James's Park as there would be right now. As it is. I suppose the fans are off their back a little bit because the takeover has gone through. The sports direct signs will be coming down at the end of the season. Um, and we have got a new manager and there is cause for optimism. I think if you Eddie Howe had been appointed in the summer, we'd have been absolutely delighted with that for the most part. And like I say, I don't think much has changed you know, apart from the owners themselves. There's not going to be a huge, you can't imagine there's going to be, you know, astronomical investment in come January. There might be significant investment. There needs to be. We need we need a spark. We need something. We need some solidity at the back. Um, so there must be some investment. 
Eddie Howe, I think, you know, he had one shocker of a season at Bournemouth, didn't he? But apart from that, his track record's pretty good. To get a team like Bournemouth, were they League One when he took over? Uh, actually, the, the story's more fantastic than that. He takes over, saves them from the drop from League Two and basically kind of financial oblivion, and they're promoted from League Two the following season. It's quite a remarkable turnaround. This, I, mean, I once did that with Dagenham and Redbridge on Football Manager. That doesn't happen in real life. No. So no. he's he's got something about him and you know, his his methods from the people. You know, there's been a few interviews from people who've worked with him and played under him um, that have been circulating around sort of the Newcastle press over the last week or so. And no one's really got a bad word to say about him. He, he, he's prepared. He's prepared to admit when he's failed. He's prepared to go and work on himself. He's still young enough to adapt and learn and and bring new ideas to to the table. So, you know, I think it's exciting to have you know a a progressive young British coach. Has he got something to prove? Yeah, I think he does. Like I, I think that he the way that Bournemouth got relegated after the, some of the signings he made, they were expensive mistakes. You know, players like Jordan Ive and Dominic Solanke, they spent over 30 million quid on those two players and they are, well, championship level at best. So he's got to, you know, he's got something to prove. He's obviously got some trusted players there already, like Callum Wilson and Matt Ritchie and uh, Ryan Fraser all played under him at Bournemouth. So he knows a, a fairly significant chunk of the squad, um, having done that. Um, I think players will be excited to play under him. It'll be interesting to see how he looks to get the best out of players like Joe Linton, Almiron, been a little bit inconsistent at times. And obviously the big challenge is making sure Alan St. Maximan stays fit. Um, he's going to have a big, a big part to play. So it's a huge job for Eddie Howe, isn't it? huge like I, I can't think I, I said on Twitter earlier this week this could be the greatest managerial hospital pass in history because you know Newcastle have got these newfound riches but they are in an absolute fight of their lives to stay up like I am more concerned right now about Newcastle staying up than I was in 2009 or in 2016 mm. it's yeah you know, it could it could get ugly um, so that something needs to change quickly because they could mm. get left behind very easily. You know, there's some good teams struggling yeah. this season. Wow. Whereas the previous two years, there was kind of a slow puncture about Newcastle and the way they went down. Yeah. Whereas Newcastle so far look a little bit more like the way we went down in 2016 rather than the way that you went down in 2016, where we were adrift fairly early. And we, and we actually had a win by this point. So, yeah, you, you do have to pull it back. Now, obviously, there have been teams who've started worse than Villa and um, gone on to do better than we did because we were almost historically bad. Um, so there's two things about Eddie Howe I want to just quickly ask you or, or bring up before we move on just to see how they kind of resonate. Obviously, he wasn't at Bournemouth for his entire managerial spell. There was that the, the one time he left to go to Burnley, things didn't work out well at all. I was wondering if that's a, a point for concern, the fact that he's only ever been successful in the one place. Uh, and now he's obviously in a much harder job in terms of the profile of it. And then the other thing, uh, his Bournemouth side were not historically known for being defensively solid. They always 
conceded more than a goal a game, ironically, with the exception of the season that they went down, <laughs> which is the one time they could actually defend. They just, just for some reason, the, the quality of the league was higher that year, I guess, than, than, than some of the ones where they stayed up. So does the fact that, that he has to basically get this Newcastle team firing and he's never been able to organise a defence really kind of worry you about the next few months? Because, as you say, they are in, uh, in a tough position. Well, I think the first thing to say about uh, Bournemouth's defensive frailty is that Newcastle have never been particularly noted for their defensive solidity either. I think, I mean, the fans want to see attacking football and I think we'll get that out of Eddie Howe. I think that's kind of probably his hallmark. He, you know, he tries to play in a, a kind of a, a an attacking way, in a way that will entertain fans that so I think it's a good fit from that point of view. We don't really have the players to be defensively solid, so we might as well just make the best of the the attacking players we've got, the Sam Maximans, the Wilsons, the Almirons, um, the Frasers that we've got, and just try and build on that, really. Yeah, we do need a bit more solidity at the back, but I think it's more about organisation, it's about fitness. Yeah, and at times, Newcastle have been solid, um, there was a time last season where we, you know, we we looked pretty solid, and I think you know, Graham Jones is staying on as first team coach. He knows the players, um, he knows you know what that looked like when it was working well. So hopefully, with a bit more engagement from the manager, and and I suppose harnessing the players that we've got at the moment, that will work well. With regards to Eddie Harris, I think you know. Most managers at some point fail. The the situation around his his so-called failure at Burnley, um, my understanding is there were a lot of sort of personal issues around it. Like there was homesickness because it, I think it's basically his mum died while he was while he was up there. And given that at the time he was well, put it this way, he was younger than we are now, Pete. Um, <laughs> so it was, <laughs> you know, that's. Um, that, that, that's you know, so it's a big thing to to happen in your life, particularly what you know. She died relatively young, so that's going to knock anyone for six. And if if his if his head's not in it, his head's not in it. I think now, you know, he's had some time out of the game. He's had some time to reflect on what went wrong in that final season at Bournemouth, and it's a big project. It's a huge project um, at Newcastle, and I don't think he'd take it on if he didn't feel ready to do it. <laughs> So no, I don't think I'm, personally I'm not worried by it. The, the failure at Burnley was a long time ago. You know, it was it was further in the past than David Moyes' failure at Manchester United. And look at him mm. now. Mm, true, true. It's it's it, as long as he's learned from all these experiences, that's what's important. And like I say, because he's still relatively young in management terms. I think he probably will have learned from them all. There is an element that he does still have to prove something, but generally speaking, I wouldn't be overly worried about it either. I mean, you've got to ask the questions because there's, you know, it is a talking point. But generally speaking, I, I tend to agree with you, and I think the fact he went back to Bournemouth made that work, and, and was very unlucky, even with some of those transfers not coming off, as you mentioned, very unlucky to be relegated in that last season. I think. They were well, flying. That's the, other, that's the other thing. Like there, there was there was a goal in it, wasn't there? Well, and not more than that. Some... It, it, it was the COVID interrupted season. If they hadn't stopped playing yeah. when they did, they'd have been fine. You know, so... it would have been would have been Villa who went down. To be honest, 
So, 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 th- so there we go. It's it, 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 these things are, de- are decided on fine margins. Now does, he's going to he's going to need some luck this year, but I don't think failures, past failures, are not a concern if there's evidence that he's learned from them. And I think, you know, to answer your question about um, failing at Burnley, I think he's vindicated himself with his performance at Bournemouth. Mm. So he's answered those questions already. Now he's got a question to answer about the relegation at Bournemouth. But yeah, I think it's 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 a huge opportunity for him. Yeah. Um, it's the chance to be you know the start of something special. Is it a poison chalice? Well, well that that kind of brings Newcastle always has been. <laughs> that brings me to the last question I want to ask. I mean, because I think I think do think you're right about that. The the only uh, thing that he has to prove beyond it being a different challenge is, is he just going to be someone whose face fits in one place um, and only does it in the one place or not? And that's another question. But the last question is uh, about Newcastle and the, and the job and what it's going to be. But I suppose the best way into this is anything going to change, particularly in the long run, because you don't just need finance, you need good organisation. And it's not much of a secret that he wasn't the first choice. And apparently Unai Emery saw it and um, basically was not convinced that the people in charge really knew what they were doing and had a coherent plan and decided to stay where he was. Now, I don't know if that's like one of these in the know type reports that isn't really that in the know, but that's certainly the version of the story that's come out. So, I mean, yeah. So what do you see for the future? I mean, are you convinced or are you just kind of trying to be optimistic or do you genuinely believe it's going to be better or... Or what? How do you see it playing out in the long term? I think it couldn't be much worse. So, uh, you know, under Ashley, there was absolutely no way Unai Emery was going to come to Newcastle. (laughs) Benitez was an anomaly in the Ashley era and one that wouldn't last because Ashley wouldn't back him. I think the, the new owners are inexperienced in football terms. They've obviously got experience of making and spending money. And it sounds like as the, the consortium itself, the 20 percent that isn't the, the Saudi state is is very committed to the northeast in general, to, to um, investing in the city as well as the club. And I think that I think everybody who is who is attached to Newcastle and is sort of seeing past the sort of the, the billions of, of pounds that the, the Saudis can invest. They know that this is a long-term job. They know that there's a lot that is that is wrong with the club. They know that a lot of things need. Some things may get worse before they get better. The infrastructure side of things has been badly neglected over the last couple of years. They've you know, actually cut out so many sort of support staff and things like that. There are there are departments of the club that just don't exist compared to other clubs, and that will need to start again. So it's it, it's a long haul. And I think any Newcastle fan expecting a quick fix and for Newcastle to be challenging for the Premier League next season or to be going to to the new camp or to the San Siro within the next year or two is is probably kidding themselves because money can get you so far, but you have to be able to attract the players and the staff to the club to be to make it to make it stick really. Because, you know, there are teams like you know, City and Liverpool have got the infrastructure in place to be successful for a long, long time. Um, and below that, you've got teams like Chelsea, United, 
Spurs and Arsenal to a point. West Ham were up and coming. It wasn't that long ago we were talking about the likes of Leicester, um, Wolves, you know, <laughs> Villa didn't feel like they were that far off a year ago. So all of these, Everton, <laughs> you know, so Newcastle have got to come a long way before they can be considered a match for any of those clubs. They've got the means to do it. Don't get me wrong. But um, I think the owners will will have a very steep learning curve over the next 12 months or so. And mistakes will be made. There, there will be cock-ups. Like, this is Newcastle for a start. There will be cock-ups. There's always been, there's, there have already been uh, murmurings about the fact that the club um, leaked their interest in Emery before they'd actually approached him, um, which was a <laughs> bit of a, you know, R- rookie mistake. Amateur hour, isn't it? Yeah. But we're used to amateur hour. <laughs> so <laughs> as long as it isn't Mike Ashley and he's not doing it year after year after year, I think they'll be afforded a, a few a few mistakes yet. OK, I think that's uh, probably a but good a place to leave it as any. Joe, thanks for giving us your thoughts on that one. We will be back with a few more of these little uh, shorter episodes before we return with season three proper. Look, keep your eyes out for those. And uh, when it's back in a few weeks time until then, take care.